Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? It's your favorite meatheads, a.k.a. the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Joined, as always, the Ed McCaffrey to my John Elway, Chad Sowash, is in the house. <laughs> and we are happy to welcome... a. We got two guests today, Chad. This might blow everyone's mind. Let's welcome Sarah Grossman, founder and CEO of Code Marketing, and Sabrina Kent, EVP of Programs and External Affairs for the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce, or Chad, as the cool kids call it, the Neglect or whatever, the (laughs) NGLCC. I don't know. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. We're super excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. How's the Rocky Mountain State? You're both in Denver. The Rocky Mountain State is doing pretty well. The rain finally subsided. It is sunny and dry. See, Sarah, I was going to say the opposite. I was so thankful for the rain because it means another day that my house doesn't burn down. So, no, that's always nice. Yes, that's a very that's a very nice thing when your house does not burn down, especially these days. It's kind of a dark perspective on life. I'm glad my house isn't (laughs) burning to hell. That's Sabrina for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've known Sarah for over a decade. And we're connected on LinkedIn. And I, I got to point this out. Uh, I know that Sarah was, but now I found out that both of you ladies were uh, listed as uh, LGBTQ plus leaders under 40 in Colorado. So congratulations Hello. on that uh, that recognition. Your moms Hello. and dads must be proud. Thank you so much. Yeah, my mom, you know, is my biggest fan and um, asked if I could send her the certificate so she could frame it and put it below the shrine of photos of me at her home. Yeah, so, does she have the kindergarten uh, coloring pictures that you did? Uh, oh, and- it's it's beyond that. There are photos of me from every age. It's just it's a lot. It's nice. A lot. So let, that that's a nice segue. Before we get into the the hard hitting Q and A that our show is known for. <laughs> Why don't you both give us sort of a Twitter bio about you? What makes you guys tick? I'm Sabrina Kent. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the executive vice president of programs and external affairs at NGLCC. I think that used up about half of my 280 words for Twitter. It's characters, actually. And yes, you did. But keep going. Oh. Okay. Well, you can see that I don't use Twitter, but I get the great privilege and luxury of working with LGBTQ-owned businesses like Sarah's uh, to helping in helping to connect them with contracting opportunities with corporate partners. So it's pretty exciting and rewarding work. Sarah? So I am on Twitter a lot. Um, <laughs> so here are my 280 characters. Um, I, In addition to running Code Marketing, which is social impact and social media, digital marketing for the LGBTQ community, their businesses and nonprofits, I also am on the board of the Drew Project, which is a nonprofit organization that we started shortly after the Pulse nightclub shooting to honor Drew Leinenen, who we lost there. Uh, We give out scholarships and grants to students going to college, as well as offer curriculum and money to help gay straight alliances across the country thrive. Wow. So quick question, quick question. Do you guys, do you guys do any lobbying at all? I mean, what's, what's the power behind the organization? I obviously helping the community is one thing, but also being able to 
press and educate our stupid ass legislators. Uh, that's something entirely different. Do you guys do that or do you work with organizations who do that? I'll jump in from the NGLCC side. Uh, we don't lobby, but we work with local, state, and federal governments on mm-hmm. on LGBTQ issues. We also will band together with other LGBTQ national organizations and our local affiliates. We've got 54 across the U.S. Um, um, on issues pertaining to the LGBT community and the LGBT business community, like the Equality Act and all those good things that we need to be fully functioning and recognized citizens in this country. Outstanding. So this show, we're going to deal a lot with employment, uh, but I think it could veer into other areas as well. Just as a general question, from an employment perspective and maybe just employment branding uh, for Sarah to jump in there as well, what are companies doing right and what are companies doing wrong from your perspective with recruiting and retention of employees? Sure. Um, Well, I think uh, it goes a little bit further than simply recruiting and retention. I think it has to do with uh, branding and DEI as well. Things that are that companies are getting right are they are uh, showing up to, for instance, the NGLCC conference. They are putting themselves out there and ensuring that they are hiring and retaining contractors who are diverse. What companies are getting wrong, especially from the branding, communications, and marketing side, is pinkwashing, which um, I'm not sure if Joel and Chad know uh, or have heard of what pinkwashing is, but it's essentially when companies throw a rainbow over their logo for the month of June, do not donate or participate in anything pride-wise, do not give anything to LGBT organizations in exchange for using our flag and simply just want to show out for pride. Well, what about the organizations, even going beyond that, the organizations who do do pinkwash, but then they also give to uh, legislators who are against the community? I mean, we've seen a lot of that. We've seen big names yes. who they want, they want to throw the colors out there. They want, to, they, they want to throw their fist up in the air. But behind the scenes, they're giving money. To, to undermine, it feels like undermine the community. What has to happen? I mean, as again, a straight cisgender, you know, white dude, I can see this. So obviously you guys are living this. What needs to happen? Transparency. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what we, what we can do to get these assholes to stop. Shame. Shame them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, politically, that is a really big issue uh, across the board. You see these uh, companies and organizations giving hand over fist to people who are coming for our rights on the daily, while also trying to, you know, turn around and sell things to the community to which they are harming. So that is definitely one of the things that folks are getting wrong. Um, And it's becoming transparent. There are uh, nonprofit organizations and even, um, you know, media outlets that keep track of this that will put out charts um, and infographics uh, every June on how much money, say, Walmart is giving to uh, organizations that and politicians who come for LGBTQ rights while also marching in the parade. Now, you know, from the perspective of somebody who does fundraising for these uh, queer organizations, in addition to communications, one of our thoughts can be, you know, I'll take money from the devil if it means one less queer kid getting beaten up. But 
at the same time, these uh, companies really, they need to answer for why they're doing it both ways. You, you work kind of in a place in time right now where money and politics have become our morals and they're giving very, very mixed signals to those of us who are trying to move the needle forward for the community. I think if I, yeah, if I could just jump in, I think too, so often when we talk about the LGBTQ community broadly, not just on this issue, we talk a lot about the doom and gloom, but there are so many companies I think that are also standing up and doing the right thing. Those are the companies that, you know, we're proud to partner with at NGLCC um, in the work that we do. And I think, you know, it also goes beyond employment protections, marketing to the LGBTQ community. But I kind of think of the ecosphere of business inclusion um, from the LGBTQ perspective being both of those things and also buying from our community, right? Like it's fantastic to wave a rainbow flag during the month of pride. Uh, Is that sourced from an LGBTQ vendor? Who's doing your marketing and storytelling for your pride marketing campaigns? Is it a company like Sarah's or is it you know, a non-diverse owned, non-LGBTQ owned business. And where are we also, you know, taking our dollars as these large companies and investing them back into the communities that we claim to support. So I think there are two sides um, of where this is, where this is sort of headed in the corporate world. Folks that are pretending to walk the walk, but they're not. And folks that are walking and talking. So are, are there any lists that are out there that may, I don't know, maybe you guys create or somebody else creates that actually show the, the, the top, 10 bad versus the top 10 good so that we know who to buy from and who to celebrate and who not to buy from. Yeah. And who to work for. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a fantastic question. So annually, the human rights campaign, HRC publishes the corporate equality index, and it basically rates companies down from the negatives, meaning you're doing harm to the community all the way to 100, which means you're sort of the model of perfection um, in terms of LGBTQ inclusivity holistically. And supplier diversity, what I do is a standalone scored piece of the corporate equality index. So meaning if a company is not actually sourcing from the LGBTQ community or being intentional about sourcing from the community, they can't actually achieve that 100. So the HRC Corporate Equality Index is a great place to look. And then NGLCC also spearheads the National Business Inclusion Consortium, which is us and our sister diverse business organizations representing women, ethnic racial minorities, veterans, folks with disabilities, etc. And annually, we honor the top 50 corporations for cross-segment inclusion. They're called the best of the best corporations for inclusion, not just for the LGBTQ community, but across the board, because obviously, as LGBTQ folks, we're not just LGBTQ. We're women, we're people of color, veterans, folks with disabilities, etc. Intersectional, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's important to to recognize that as well. What's your sense for how tuned in the community is to companies that are doing it right and doing it incorrectly? So in other words, are there conversations happening where you see a, a logo that's been rainbowed and saying, oh, that's bullshit. They did X, Y, and Z last year. <laughs> or companies that are friendly and you see the the rainbow logo saying, yeah, they, they fucking get it right. Or yes. <laughs> I'm not, why would you work for them after they did X, Y, and Z? Are those conversations mm-hmm. happening? How in tune is the is the community? Absolutely. These conversations are happening all the time, whether it's in a Facebook group or a group chat or somebody's blog, Twitter, anywhere on the internet. There are people who really, really keep track of and pay attention to this stuff and then disseminate the information to the rest of us. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Sarah's spot on there. I'll also say, 
you know, I think sometimes too, we're so quick to highlight the negative and it's important to do that because we need to understand what companies are doing and are they really putting their money where their mouths are. But it's important, I think, that we have social media as a tool to be able to recognize uh, when these things are happening. But I think the other side of it is I would also like to recognize when companies are doing the right thing. And I think just like human beings, companies are entities in and of themselves and they mess up big time. And I'm by no means condoning any kinds of any kind of discrimination or violence against our community but i think it's also important that we take a look and see okay what have these companies done to correct these actions or have they done anything to correct these actions when they've been called to the carpet like are they learning their lessons i wholeheartedly agree with that in fact um a couple of weeks ago when we were in Las Vegas for the NGLCC conference i was very surprised to see barilla there um, because there was a huge, um, uproar when something homophobic came from their camp, I think back in like 2015. And it seems like they've really done the work and been very intentional, um, in ensuring that they fix that mistake and are bringing more folks in, uh, especially from the community, which is fantastic. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transform, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Sarah, I think you mentioned you know everything's politicized and and it's all about money now. And the the pandemic has created a dynamic in the workforce that people are more mobile than ever. Uh, you have red states becoming redder than ever before. You have blue states becoming bluer, and then there are purple states. How? How has that affected your community and how they select states to live? Uh, you know, companies that are in these states that take stands against legislators and laws, are they aware of what's going on sort of nationally with states and making decisions to move to states and work for companies that are in locations that are friendly to them? Oh, 100%. Um, so I used to work for the Matthew Shepard Foundation before starting Code Marketing. And Dennis Shepard would always talk about the brain drain in Wyoming and talk about how as Wyoming became redder and redder and redder, they would see people leaving for opportunities in bluer states. They would see people who were smarter and more determined to make their businesses work leave because... As the younger generation is moving up into the workforce, they are more awake to the issues of discrimination and the issues of homophobia, uh, et cetera. And so um, they don't want to be in a state that is ruled by folks who are discriminating against them. They want to be somewhere where they and their friends can be free to be whoever they want, love whoever they want. And their families more and, and more. And their families, exactly. If their families can't thrive, why would they stay? Sarah, I mean, look at you and me. Sarah and I both grew up in Florida. We are not, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, Sarah, but I think I can pretty confidently say, unless there was a major, major shift in that state, which is highly unlikely, um, 
we are not going back there right? 100%. To, to live. Yeah. Our families might still be there, but we're not going back there. We're not going to contribute. Like when I go there, I do as much as I possibly can to not even put money back into the Florida economy, which sucks because there are people like my mom who are business owners in the state of Florida who yeah. can benefit from people like me coming in and spending their money there. But I don't, I don't want to go back. And actually speaking of the conference, um, a recent report was released by one of our corporate partner. Well, I don't know if it was actually publicly released, so I'm going to share this anonymously on their behalf, but they've done a comprehensive survey of LGBTQ folks across the country and talking about the talent drain and where people are headed. I was surprised to see that as of this year, Colorado actually has the highest LGBT population per capita at 11% here, surpassing even California, which is 10 point something percent. Wow. Wow. Because we're leaving and we're going to places that are going to make us feel included, where we can hold our partner's hand on the sidewalk or express our genders in the way that aligns with our identity. And, and we're not going to stay in places that don't um, serve us and our community. And I think the other piece of that too, that's often left out is allies as well, right? I mean, if I'm the parent of a trans or queer child, I don't want my child, if I can help it, if I have the means to be able to change that, I don't want my child to grow up in a place that teaches them that they're wrong or bad or makes them feel ashamed for who they are. And and my family members or whomever I care about in the LGBTQ community, I don't want to partake, participate in that. So I think it's a broader discussion too, rather than just focusing on you know the LGBTQ community. Sing it, sister. I'm ready to run through a brick wall after that. Can you get a good Cubano in in Denver? That's the question. A good sandwich. Um, actually, I yes. Um, okay, if you're okay. looking specifically for a Cuban sandwich, I just found this year a um, really delicious uh, Cuban place that does the sandwiches and the pastries. Oh, so, that's what I'm. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Sarah, have you have you been to Cuba, Cuba? I have, and this place is better. Oh, it's a hole in the wall in Aurora. I'll have to take you when you get back from Burning Man. Uh, I also have to share, Joel and I work with uh, a lot of different event companies and, you know, they are one of two things. They might actually be going to a state or holding an event in a state that, you know, we, we just don't align with. So, you know, we've told event, event organizers, yeah, we're not going to come, <laughs> right? Unless you find a state where we want to spend our money. And, and, I, and I agree, right? If you're, you know, whether you're a straight cisgender male, uh, in, but yet you are an ally, you got to show it, right? And I think we're seeing a lot more of that. Now, kind of switching back, Joel talked a little bit about uh, remote work earlier, but there's a, a, a new a new story coming out from our friends over at JP Morgan uh, Chase. And, and Jamie Dimon actually said that returning to the office will aid in diversity. Now, is this just a bunch of bullshit? Uh, or or did, <laughs> did, did we feel like pre-pandemic things were becoming more diverse organically because we were all in the office? What, give me, give me your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm just going to say that I don't believe that that's the case. I think if we're talking about diversity, we're also talking about the types of people that make up our companies. If I'm a single parent, for example, it might be a lot uh, more advantageous for me to work from home. If I'm a person with different uh, levels of ability, it might be ne necessary for me to work from home. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, I don't know that I agree with that. And I will also say that 
uh, NGLCC, we were a 95% in-person office prior uh, to the pandemic starting. And about halfway through 2020, we closed our office space. We've leased it out. We're landlords now. And our team has <laughs> never been more connected or more productive. And we're also able to source talent from around the country and not just, you know, the DC metropolitan area. I used to live in DC and then I lived in New York. Now I can live in Colorado, live my best life, and also you know, put my best foot forward in my work life. And I know that my talent pool isn't just limited to a small area. So I would disagree with that. Okay. Okay. Any Anything to add, Sarah? Um, no, I definitely agree with Sabrina on the fact that um, talent pools can only be more diverse and uh, talented if you get to source from everywhere. Could you imagine being here today and only hiring people from your city for things that you need that, I mean, the, like, forget about diversity. The talent pool is, you know, expanded a million fold, (laughs) um, for the simple fact that you're able to work with people from around the country and around the world. I mean, I don't even have any clients in Denver right now. So Joel and I have this argument all the time that we, he believes that the, the iPhone could not have been created remotely by remote teams. And I, I don't believe that. I think I think remote teams are an evolution of what we should have been doing years ago. Do you believe that the iPhone in today's remote work environment, that the new innovations will happen just as fast as they did as when we were together? I mean, in the first four months of COVID, we experienced five years of digital transformation. So in short, I would say Yes, I think you can still collaborate effectively. You can still put ideas together. You can still make things happen in a remote environment. That doesn't mean that there aren't essential roles that are required to be in person, right? I mean, we still need to see certain roles be in person or be in person part of the time. But I still think the innovation is there. I think the creativity is there. And I also think the flexibility allows people to feed that energy more within themselves and bring that um, to work with them. Tell him, Sabrina. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with that, by the way. I oh, firmly... Sarah, you traitor. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm sorry. I firmly believe in a results-only work environment. And Amen. <laughs> I firmly believe that given flexibility, people are able to innovate and be more creative. And, you know, when it comes to a typical nine to five, 48, 50 hour work week, I also very much believe that that's defunct because we have technology now. We aren't typing on typewriters. Speak for yourself. Yeah. Oh, oh well, you know, I, I am on the 40 under 40 list. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's interesting because we we ask this question to to a lot of people that we interview and mostly and, and Joel correct me if I'm wrong uh, most of the the responses we get from men are that no they don't believe that the iPhone would have been created in you know this current environment right it's just not as innovative we have to we have to be together right but this is a more diverse kind of like I think innovative thinking, I would say, response that we've heard from you guys more so than 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 the dudes, don't you think? Well, I think tying this back into what we were just talking about previously as well, when you have a diverse and inclusive work environment, you actually have 
more innovative thought. There are studies that are published on, on this very topic, right? So, I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm going to assume that it's white cisgender men that you're talking about that are giving these responses. That, you know, statistically speaking, the, the they guys are not, in charge, you mean? Yeah. The ones who, who want everybody the in the office? man. I mean, statistically <laughs> speaking, um, they are actually not the most innovative as it is. So, like, if you look at Silicon Valley, the percentage of trans people, Asian American people, other minority identified people, women working in the workforce there that are creating some of these incredible technologies that have changed our lives. They're not always the white man. And that's not to say that white men are not great. Love you guys, Joel and Chad. But, <laughs> but you know, it takes all of us to play ball together to to create the most innovative products, to create the most talented workforces um, and places and spaces that people want to work and and companies that are effectively changing the world. Cool. So I want to stick stick with that sort of retention in the workplace topic. And in doing my my homework for this show, I learned from a recent UCLA study that 50% of LGBT employees are not out to their supervisor. And I learned that 34% of LGBT have left their job due to treatment by their employer. What can companies do to create a more open environment? I know, I know we've mentioned, you know, sort of lunch and learns or education, like give companies some tips to help cut that number down. Those are crazy percentages to me in 2022. What tips would you guys give for employers improving that number? Joel's stealing my stats over here. I just got to say that. But Sarah, you start and then I'll jump in. Okay. Um, well, I want I want to um, point out first that currently in, I think, 28 states, you can be fired simply for being gay. That's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. So back when gay marriage was passed uh, and made law of the land, Justice Kennedy said that everybody is now entitled to a constellation of benefits that marriage gives us. And that's all well and good in theory, but in practice, that constellation is missing a lot of stars, particularly in the South and the Midwest. Um, where these laws state that you can get married on Sunday, come into your desk on Monday and put a picture of your new Canadian wife, and somebody can not like that and fire you point blank just because you're gay. And so I think that a lot of those statistics are coming out of those states where it's not safe to be yourself at work. I think I would just add and say, I mean, it's it's a bottom line issue, right? Because, I mean, you just talked about uh, folks leaving, folks not feeling comfortable coming out at work. And part of, I believe it's also the UCLA study, it, th over 30% of an LGBTQ employee's productivity goes out the window when they can't bring their full selves to work, right? That's I'm not just saying, oh, you know, I can't use the bathroom that aligns with my gender identity, which is incredibly important that we do provide these spaces. But it's also things like, hey, we're standing around the water cooler, we're sending a Slack message back and forth on Monday morning, and you're talking about what you and your opposite sex partner did over the weekend, and I can't talk about my same sex partner, or I can't talk about my trans child, or whatever that may look like. Um, and ultimately, it's a human rights violation, but it's also... Um, a bottom line issue, right? So for people who are in charge of companies, that's 30% of your employees' productivity. That's 30% of their time spent at work. It's a retention issue. That means that you're going to spend more money trying to train and develop these individuals uh, who are going to be their ultimate replacements. So we know that 
you know, places that are inclusive are, are seeing better results, are seeing employees sticking around for a longer term. And to answer the other part of your question, what does that look like? That does look like lunch and learns. That does look like creating space for conversations around diverse uh, communities. But it also looks like me seeing as an LGBT associate in a company, um, LGBT folks in the higher ranks of the company, right? From managers to directors to C-suite and above. So um, it's it's not just a matter of, okay, we've got these people in place. It's a matter of what are we training our people on? Are we creating a culture and environment where people do feel safe to come out at work? Do they have somewhere to report any kind of discrimination? Do we have a culture of accountability? Are we investing back in the communities that we claim to support? I think these are all things that companies can look at outside of just the basic policies of inclusion um, that they practice. So talk a little bit more about that because we obviously saw, you know, Roe versus Wade struck down. And uh, those are rights that are taken away from from females. I, I would assume many in the community feel like the right to actually being married uh, could also be reversed and or struck down. If you're an employer, what do you do to try to help? Because these are things that are that are incredibly distracting to your employees, obviously, because it's their life, right? What do they do to make it easier and better on them to to, to let them know that they're behind them? I mean, it, this this is a really, really big struggle that individuals are going through right now. How can employers help them? Yeah, the reproductive health conversation is so important. And I think one of the big things that we saw companies do after the SCOTUS reversal on Roe was provide assistance to their employees to travel out of state if they were living in an area that um, they would be prosecuted for um, trying to seek an abortion and reproductive health care. I think that is a huge um benefit that these companies are able to provide. And it's a huge stance against what I believe is an incredibly unjust ruling um, by the Supreme Court. I'll also say, you know, if we we look back um, at the HB2 bills in North Carolina, so many companies pulled their major operations out of North Carolina because of the discriminatory discriminatory anti-trans bathroom bills. They said, nope, we're not going to spend our money here. Kind of like what you were talking about. We're not going to go to events and support places that are not inclusive to LGBTQ folks. And these companies said, the NBA, Bank of America, huge companies said, we are not going to be investing in this state until uh, this rule is reversed. And that ultimately led to a lot of change. So outside of providing that direct support to employees, spaces for them to be able to talk about these issues, but also to have support navigating these issues, companies um, ultimately, you know, Small businesses and large corporations drive this economy and therefore um, our politics as well. And so major companies have, I think, a huge responsibility to stand up um, against uh, discriminatory bills, policy, etc. to try and make good. So stand up in public, not just behind the scenes. That's that's awesome. Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that as well. Uh, we saw a lot of major companies and corporations come out after the row reversal and um, say that they support and will pay for and not penalize, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then again, it, this kind of goes back to the brain drain thing and the different the different laws in the different states. So now Colorado is essentially an island 
(laughs) out here in the Mountain West when it comes to protections. And it wasn't always that way, especially for LGBTQ folks. You know, we're talking about how Colorado is now the gold star state when it comes to laws for the community. Um, But 25 years ago, 30 years ago, Colorado was the hate state. Um, And it had very similar laws on the books that Florida does currently. That's definitely something to look at when it comes to the hope for change. We have come a very, very long way, and it came from longstanding political action and ensuring that uh, we had more progressive folks in our local government. But at the end of the day, the thing that we're really fighting against is the government is essentially trying to pit businesses versus law. At the end of the day, you know, you saw how it came down with Disney and DeSantis in Florida. I don't think that's the last uh, time we're going to see something like that. Let's talk some marketing, Sarah. What do you say? Oh, sure. My favorite. Sure. Okay. So in terms of recruitment marketing, you know, what tips would you give companies in terms of, you know, language on job descriptions, uh, imagery or messaging on their career site, maybe their social media presence? Because I would think it's a fine line between pandering and being sort of genuine. What tips would you give? Um, Yeah, so definitely um, there is a very fine line between being genuine and pandering, and that is intention. So it's little things like ensuring your graphics have diverse people in them, uh, whether it's a pamphlet, your website, social media, etc. If you're only seeing white people and you're only seeing able-bodied people and you're only seeing straight people, you might think, well, maybe this isn't necessarily the environment for me to apply to. I'm guessing you'd say stay away from stock photos, however. They should actually be be employees. You know, yeah, yes. And I do know that Adobe has a um, an initiative to make their stock photos more diverse. Um, I actually have a chat with them on Friday about it. So, (laughs) (laughs) but definitely stay away from stock photos anyway, because like a woman eating a salad isn't necessarily (laughs) um, going to relate to your job posting. In the job posting, the language itself, there are places where uh, companies make sure that their prospective employees know that they're specifically hiring and encouraging diverse folks, people of diverse abilities, sexualities, genders, races, religions, etc., to apply for these jobs. Um, And I think that kind of language is incredibly important to keep up and to push forward and to encourage other businesses that are hiring employees to do the same. And how about social media? Social media, it it always depends on, you know, the brand and the company. But similarly, there's calendars everywhere of the different um, celebrations within different communities that uh, your social media uh, manager should be aware of. And when you celebrate these things online, it's good to also celebrate them in person, continue to walk the walk instead of just talk the talk and don't make it performative. Sabrina, any opinion on marketing? Yeah. I mean, I just would add to that and say in the job posting itself, we may not realize it, but we can use language that is very much skewed to 
gender or different ethnicities and so forth. And so there's actually tools out there to ensure that language in job postings becomes neutral and more welcome and friendly to all. Like, for example, uh, I think I don't know the exact statistic, but for example, if your job has 10 requirements, a woman will probably read that and say, okay, well, I only meet seven of those, so I'm not going to apply to that job. Whereas a man might meet four of those requirements and say, great, I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring and see what happens. So there are actually companies that you can work with to work on that language. And I think it's also important to put directly in there, you know, if you are a woman, person of color, minority, differently abled individual, person of differing sexual orientation or gender identity, we strongly encourage you to apply, you know, put those values right up front. So folks know that they are welcome to be there and can bring their full authentic selves to the interview process. Awesome. Excellent. Well, Sarah, Sabrina, we appreciate you coming on. And again, we, you know, we need as much education as we can, help not to us. mention our, our, our listeners. Yes, please help us. But if our listeners want to find out more about you or I don't know, maybe even your organizations, where would you send them? You can find me anywhere online. I can vouch for that. I can vouch for that. <laughs> On Twitter, I'm so Sarah said. On Instagram, I'm so Sarah saw. On Tinder, I'm so Sarah swiped. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I, uh, <laughs> you know, that's branding, baby. Yep. That is branding. Um, and code marketing uh, is online everywhere at code, C-O-D-E hyphen M-K-T-G. Excellent. Sabrina? NGLCC.org or uh, NGLCC on all different social media platforms. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much for having us. Yep. Chad, another one in the can, baby. I learned something. I know you probably did. Oh, too. yeah. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? podcast the chad the cheese brilliant they talk about recruiting they talk about technology but most of all they talk about nothing just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know and yet you're listening it's incredible and not one word about cheese not one cheddar blue nacho pepper jack swiss so many cheeses and not one word so weird Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.